Hello, my name is Aviva Silverman, and I will be having a conversation with Sawyer DeVest for the New York City Trans Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It's January 28th, and it's being recorded in Ridgewood, Queens. Queens, Ridgewood, Queens. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> Can you introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, I'm Sawyer DeVest. And you're just telling me that <laughs> other kinds of people pronounce your name differently. Yes, based on where they're from. You know, if they're from the South, it's always like Sawyer. And I'm like, oh, you're from the South, obviously. What other kinds of ways did people say it? Um, that's kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> and are you from the South? I'm not. Uh, no, I'm from New Jersey. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And could you tell me a little about that? Sure. Um, I was born in uh, Westwood, New Jersey, which is like northern... Jersey in Bergen County and grew up in Ramsey um, also in New Jersey until I was um, 13 and then my family moved to Warwick New York it was about 45 minutes north um, and I lived there until I was 17 so that's all the places I've grown up yeah and can you tell me um, about your childhood yeah yikes um, so I am one of four kids. Um, I'm the, the second mid middle child and I have two older brothers and a little sister. Um, and we grew up, um, born again, Christian. Uh, my mom was a music minister and, uh, we would go to church like three times a week, Wednesday nights, Friday night, like revival service, and then Sunday mornings. Um, and sometimes on Friday nights, we would be at church until like two in the morning or like three in the morning, um, which was nuts as like a nine-year-old, you know? Um, yeah, so like very religious, um, also grew up very poor. Uh, Ramsey is, is kind of known for being very affluent, but we were like the one family who were like grandfathered in because my dad had built this house in the seventies before like all this money came in. Um, excuse me. So yeah, we were just like the poor, like dirty family is what I felt like, um, growing up. And then also being, you know, kind of othered because we were also really religious and I feel like that at least that denomination of Christianity wasn't um, as popular, it was more like Catholics or like Lutherans. Um, Would you mind explaining yeah. some of the tenets of born again Christian society? Yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, born again. Um, so when you're born again, you believe that you have a relationship, like a personal relationship with God, um, that you can just like talk to him and be like, Hey, what's up? You know, like as you go about your day, you're just like talking with God. Um, and it's very, to me, very extreme. Um, there's a lot of judgment, a lot of, um, in my experience, a lot of hate that comes out of it, um, especially towards um, like LGBTQ people, um, which was not fun for me. And really anyone who, like, is not, like, a cis straight white person, um, I think is 
you know, kind of othered in that space. And how did that affect you as a child? Um, God, I think I just, I grew up thinking that I was less than everyone else, you know, in my family life and also at church um, because we were really poor and I don't remember this happening because I think I just didn't, I didn't understand, but my brothers have told me like, oh no, we were like picked on incessantly and like bullied um, about the clothes that we wore and that we had like plastic shoes. We didn't um, have nice shoes from like Models. You know, we had like plastic shoes from um, like Bradley's or Payless. And um, so I don't remember that happening, but they specifically said that happened. Um, I remember there was like an incident in like Sunday school, this kid, Jackie, like everyone was picking on him with his name and saying like, calling him Jacqueline. And he was like, I'm not a girl. And he like threw a pair of scissors across the room and like threw them at me. And they like hit me in the back of the head and I was like bleeding everywhere. And it was just like totally traumatic. Um, But I wasn't calling him Jacqueline. I was just like coloring my little page, you know? Um, so that, yeah, I like in, in the church, I felt like I was never really accepted there, um, because I was different. I was like a little tomboy and like, um, like I had to wear dresses. Um, but like still stuck out like a sore thumb, you know, like my stockings were always like halfway down my knees and just like not, (laughs) not put together. Um, and then would always like bring a change of clothes. So that like after the service, I could go like skateboard in the parking lot. Um, or go like fuck around with the boys in the parking lot and, and play, you know? Um, so I never really fit in there. Mm. Yeah. And what did conversations about money look like in your family? Um, God, they were always, it was always very tense. I think we, like the kids were never brought in on those conversations, but it was just known that there was a lot of stress about money. Um, you know, my dad was working, my mom was like a stay at home mom. Um, and there were four kids. Um, we lived in like a two bedroom house. Um, so my brothers shared a room a bedroom. My little sister shared a room with my mom. Um, my dad slept downstairs in the living room on like a recliner chair. And then I slept in the hallway. There was like kind of like a wide, a wide enough hallway that you could put a twin bed and still have a little room to squeeze by. So that was my room was like the hallway. And I remember there was like an actual closet in the hallway with me and you couldn't even open the doors all the way because it like hit my bed. So it was like all very cramped. Um, and I remember not really having a lot of money for food a lot of the time. Um, my mom would make like a lot of stews and a lot of like pasta. Um, and we didn't really have like money for extra anything. Like there was like a, a special calculator we needed for school or something that was like a Texas instrument, something, something for some special math class. And like, we just couldn't get it, you know? So my mom had to like 
send me to school with a note for my teacher being like, we can't afford this. So I think they maybe, maybe the school bought me one. I don't remember. Um, but stuff like that where like, we just didn't have extra money for things, you know? Mm. And in that era, how did you, um, connect to other people in your life? Did you have any models of people that felt good and safe for you? Mm, I think I was always pretty close to my dad. Um, Yeah, I was like his first, well, not his first. So my dad has two other kids from a different marriage. Um, So I have two half-sisters as well. Um, had one of them passed away Um, but I for for whatever reason I wasn't his firstborn daughter but like he treated me like that and just like treated me special all the time so I was you know I would like go fishing with him and like do all of his like fun things with him Um, but I think there was actually this person named Janet who my it was like my mom's friend from church who would like come over to pray and Janet let's explain Janet she had like short brown hair she wore like flannels and like baggy jeans and like what I would describe today as like a butch lesbian and Janet would come over and anytime she would come over or they would come over um I would get so excited and like Janet would be like oh my god like where's Sarah and like we would always just like connect and then they would be like praying with my mom at the kitchen table but also playing tic-tac-toe with me on my little tykes um like kitchen set and I just loved when Janet was around and then they just like stopped coming around and I asked my mom and she was like oh Janet moved you know and I was like seven so I was like okay whatever and forgot about it until I came out to my mom um in like my mid twenties and she was like, do you remember Janet? And I was like, Oh yeah. That li- that like lady who came over and prayed. And she was like, um, she was like Janet. And she was using all t- types of like, like insensitive language. She's, you know, used the word hermaphrodite. It was like, who, who says that anymore? Um, but she was like, yeah, Janet, um, Janet thought she was a hermaphrodite and she was doing, um, testing to find out which hormone she had more of so she could transition which way da, da, da. which is I don't know if that actually happens but that's what my mom said it happens um, but in that moment I just like knew energetically that like Janet and I had matched and I didn't know why at the time when I was seven or eight but like now looking back on it I was just like oh we we knew you know, like same meet same. Um, and I've had a couple of other moments with like perfect strangers where like same met same for just like a brief amount of time. And it's like an energetic match. Um, so I think Janet is the first person who I like had that match with. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then I also have, uh, an aunt who is I'm especially close with. Um, and she's incredible. Um, I was really close to my nanny, who's my grandma. Um, 
she was the first person I ever came out to. Um, she like asked me over Christmas dinner um, if I was like, if I dated boys with like everybody around. She was like, do you date boys? And I was like, ha. <laughs> and my brother stepped in and was just like, oh, we're all too busy to, da- to date. Like we don't, we're not dating anybody. And kind of like tried to save me. And, um, and then everyone left to get dessert and it was just me and her at the table. And she was like, no, really, do you date boys? And I was like, do you want me to lie to you? And she's like, I don't want you to lie. And I was like, no, I don't. She was like, okay. You know, and didn't say anything else. And that was like Christmas Eve. Um, and then Christmas Day, we were at my mom's house. And my aunt comes in and is like, um, your nanny would like to speak with you. And I was like, oh God, you know. And she like pulls me into the dining room and there's two chairs facing each other. And my nanny just like pats the chair. And I go and talk to her and she's like, why didn't you tell me before? And I was like, well, my mom said that you wouldn't love me if I told you. And um, she said you would be embarrassed. And she was like, you, there's nothing wrong with you. I don't know what's wrong with your mom. I did not raise her that way. Um, I just want you to be happy. And from then on was just like so supportive you know, would have my girlfriends over for Thanksgiving dinner and just, like, treated me like a normal person. You know, asked about my dating life. Um, didn't try to skirt around it or um, ignore that it was even there, you know. Mm. Um, so I would say, yeah, my aunt, my aunt Chris and, um, and my nanny were really important to me. That's so amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that I had them. You know, I think I really needed needed that Mm. and did you feel when you came up to your nuclear family there's a lot of religious um i don't know backlash yeah definitely with my mom um my dad well there was two coming comings out so there was like when i was 19 i came out as dating women and when I, i think i was 23 I came out as trans again because um, I first came out as trans when I was like six um, and that was met with like a whole lot of violence and like not good so I just stopped talking about it. What did that look like when you when you were six? When you I was six? Um, my mom actually um, caught me peeing standing up and lost like lost it um, and just like I mean, I, I could say she beat me. I feel like beatings sound like really like over the top and like she hit me, you know, she was violent. Um, and uh, yeah, I just learned to never talk about that again. Um, and I think that also bled into like expressing my needs. Um, anytime I would express a need, it was also met with, um, maybe not violence in that way where I was like physically abused, but, um, my needs were never met. So then I just learned to never like express my needs. And, um, and that's still something that I'm like working through is expressing my needs. So, um, yeah, that's what that looked like. It was not great. Um,
And then when I came out when I was 23, somehow she was still surprised (laughs) that those feelings were still there. And it's like, well, maybe you thought it was a phase when I was six, but like it's coming up again when I'm 23. So like, it's probably not a phase, you know, Um, I'm probably not just doing this for attention or like whatever else she's thinking it is. Um, Yeah. Mm. And when did you come to the city? Um, I was 21. Yeah. I lived in Boston. Um, when I was 17, I moved out of um, Warwick. Uh, moved to Boston. I was in a band um, and had no prospects of going to college because we didn't have any money to. So I just moved up there with them because that's where they were going. Um, and then from there, moved to Chicago lived in Chicago for a year and I loved it. Um, but my dad got really sick and I felt like I needed to be back in New York where it was closer to him. So I came to New York, uh, in 2006 and there's like a little blip where I moved to LA, but since 2006, I've basically been in, in New York city. Wow. Yeah. And what kinds of neighborhoods have you lived in? Oh God. Um, my first apartment was like off the Graham L stop. Um, on Skillman Avenue. So that's like East Williamsburg. Um, and then I moved to Clinton Hill and I lived in Clinton Hill for eight years in one apartment and then three years in another apartment in Clinton Hill. I've kind of always been around Clinton Hill, Fort Greene. Um, right now I live in Fort Greene. Um, yeah, Clinton Hill, Clinton Hill. Oh, um, I lived in the Lower East Side for two years, which was really cute, but my upstairs neighbor was atrocious, so I had to leave. (laughs) Um, yeah, and then came back to Fort Greene. I've been here since, yeah. And what kind of scenes have you been a part of? What kind of scenes? I think, um... I used to build furniture um, for a long time. I had a furniture um, building company for about eight years, and I was really big into um, like the furniture and design scene um, for a long time. I think in like the early, yeah, like when I got here in two thousand six, um, I was really into like going out dancing and you know like multiple nights a week I would go out dancing which which like who has the energy for that anymore could you tell us where oh my god um okay so when I first moved here I my favorite place was um Caddyshack on 4th Ave um which is no longer there but I would so I'd take the train there close the bar down at like 4 a.m. And I had to be at my job at Starbucks at five. So I would ride the subway into the city. I worked at the Astor Play Starbucks. Um, I would ride the train into the city and then ride my skateboard around until I had to be at work at five just to like keep myself awake. Um, and then I would work from like five to 11, go home, go to sleep. And then I also worked at a vegan Caribbean restaurant um, and I had to be there at four. 
So then I worked from like four to 11 and then I would go back to Caddyshack. <laughs> and it was like this cycle of just like closing down Caddyshack. And it's not like I was really going there with anyone. I would just go there by myself just to dance. What kind of music did they play? Oh God, it was like, upstairs was like the 80s, um, like 80s throwback kind of music. And then downstairs was always like hip hop, like a lot of like Missy Elliott, um, which is like, that's where I wanted to be was downstairs. Um, and it was really cute for a long time. I love that place. And then there's also like Metropolitan was close to my first apartment. So I could just like walk there. Um, there was a place called Sugarland in Williamsburg. Um, I remember when like original plumbing, the magazine came out, that's where their first like launch party was. It was at Sugarland. Um, God, in like a warehouse that is no longer there because now it's like a condo. But that was a really cute space. And then there was another one in Williamsburg called um, The Cave or something. It was on like North 9th maybe. And it was literally shaped like a catacomb. It was like rounded ceilings and looked like a cave. Um, But that place was really cute too. Mm. Yeah. Um, are there places you go to now? Not really. <laughs> um, no, the last place I, I went to Body Hack um, last month. And I felt really out of place. <laughs> I was just like, I am old. Um and yeah, like no one was particularly friendly. It just seems like the scene has like changed. Could you describe that more? Yeah. Um, it seems to me, and this has happened in other like not nightlife spaces, that like I present very male. Um, so people treat me a certain way, not taking into account my history because they don't know it. Um, but yeah, people are just not particularly friendly to me or often like wonder why I am like why I'm there, you know, like, oh, why is this like weird white dude here? Um, and when, oh, sorry, go on. No, it's just, it just, it's kind of, um, like I often feel invisible in that way, you know, like my queerness and my transness feels invisible. Um, which is something I'm like always struggling with. And how would you, in this moment, describe your gender? Um, a gender. I think, um, I just don't really see the point of it. Um, you know, in terms of, um, attraction, I'm attracted to people with all bodies, like, any kind of configuration is attractive to me. So I'm, that just leads me to like, what does it even matter? You know? Um, and, and then for myself, like I, I think like pre-transition when I was like a teenager, um, I was like a masculine female presenting person. Um, I was like pretty butch, um, like, never cried, um, 
strong, like all these like stereotypically like masculine things, you know? And then like once I started tradition, like transitioning and being seen more male, I think more of my femininity started kind of leaking out. And just naturally, as I was like more comfortable being read as male, I was just like, oh, now I can do, um, I can dance. And it's not seen as a female thing. It's seen as like a gay male thing. Um, And so there was that. And then also I think realizing um, that it like doesn't really matter. Like all of these things could be masculine or feminine. Um, Like dancing isn't inherently feminine, you know? Um, it's also masculine. It's also whatever you want it to be. And I think just like growing in my transness and, um, learning about colonialism and the impact that's had on gender, learning all of that has really just like broken it down for me that I'm just like, I just don't, I don't care about gender. I know it's very important to some people and that is great. Um, but I just don't feel that way for myself. Um, I'm interested to hear more about how you in perhaps in transitioning, Mm -hmm. how to change your relationship to dating. And as you said, to social space, Mm um, yeah, are there spaces that have made you feel more affirmed? Or, mm-hmm. are there, or I guess, in, in, in contrast, alienated? And it seems like you just mentioned one party that yeah. made you feel that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what, what are other sites that were either affirming or hmm. alienating? I think... Um, yeah, it's funny. I think a lot of like queer spaces have become more alienating for me. Um like, uh, I guess I'll just name it, um, the fluid project. I, their like first campaign when they first started and had their like giant brick and mortar store on Broadway. Um, I modeled in their like first campaign and felt very accepted and, um, I felt fine. I mean, I think a lot of the time, I was read as a trans guy because I had my shirt off a lot of the time. Um, so it was very obvious, like, oh, that's why he's here. Um, but then in the months that followed that, like, I would go into the store and just kind of get the snub from people who worked there. Um, or I would, um, like, walk by and there's, like, an event happening. So I would go inside and people would just kind of, like, give me these looks of, like, why did this straight white dude just walk in here? And, um, yeah, I felt really alienated and like, oh, I guess maybe I don't belong here. Um, so that didn't feel great. Um, so it's just like, I felt like you had to be visibly trans or like a gender clown to like be allowed in those spaces, you know, like over the top, dramatic and, um, not like me. So that was really alienating, um, which is kind of how I felt when I went to Body Hack 
that I wasn't, um, that I wasn't showing my trans enough, you know, like I had to take my shirt off to be validated in that space. Um, which is really shitty, you know, cause I don't even identify as a man. So, but I, I understand that I look like one. <laughs> um, and places I've felt affirmed. I feel really affirmed actually at the gym. Um, I really have found a lot of um, joy in like the locker room and just like owning myself and changing very freely. Like I'm not just gonna like flash myself around obviously. Um, but not being, um, I'm not shy about it. You know, I like take my shirt off freely. I take my pants off freely. I am changing to go to the gym. And this is one way that a body looks and people need to get used to it. Um, and I feel like I can do that more comfortably because I am white. And I am male passing. I think if somebody who was just starting to transition did that, the reaction might be a little different. Or somebody who didn't have top surgery did that, it might be a little different. Or if a black person did that, it might be different. Um, but that's just like one way that I can kind of confront, um, yeah, like confront the notion that like all men need to have penises and look a certain way. You know, um, so that I found really, really nice. Um, and also bathhouses. Um, I love bathhouses. <laughs> um, I'm a Leo, so I'm like very into luxury. And um, there's like that bathhouse in Williamsburg, which is like fine. It's nice, but I also really like the old school Russian Turkish bathhouse. Um, and that place, because I, I lived in the Lower East Side for a little bit. And I would go there every Sunday. It was like the men's only hours. And I just felt like a, like a water nymph. It was like that really helped me heal a lot of my body issues was going to that space and just being naked around. And it was like all these bodies that they're not all um, like toned and fit and young. There's like, old uh like old russian dudes there are fat people there are skinny people there are like every type of person is there and um and yeah that was just like really healing for me to see all the different body types all in one place and everyone just like yeah just like vibing it was great i went i remember i went to the uh there's like the ice plunge and i went into the ice plunge once and there were like a couple guys in there and I just like dropped my towel, walked down the stairs and these, these guys like noticed, but then continued what they were doing. Didn't say anything. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, it's so cold. Um, and I said to, to one of them, at least I don't have much to shrink. And they all just died laughing. <laughs> it was so good. Um, yeah, that was a really funny moment. And I'm glad that I could just, like, own that. And it's, like, a trans joke that's not, you know, 
offensive, <laughs> you know. So anyway, yeah, I really like those kinds of spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now in the winter. Especially now in the winter, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And how else are you spending your time these days? Um, a lot of work. Um, I do wardrobe um, for film and TV. So I'm working on a, a show right now, um, The Blacklist, and um, which is fine. You know, it's a money job. Um, so I make my money there and then I can take time off and do my personal projects. Um, whether it's photography or writing or just fucking off, you know. Do you want to talk about a new project resting. you're working on? Yeah. Um, so I've been working on a script for a, a while. Um, that is about, God, I don't have my like log line set yet, but it's, um, it's a true crime story. Um, that revolves around um, a crime that happened to my half-sister. My oldest half-sister in 2017 was murdered in a bank robbery. And, um, And yeah, the script is just about how that really changes the life of this family. And... um, And throughout, like, 2020 and um, all of the, like, Black Lives Matter um, protests and all of the dialogue that was happening, I learned a lot about abolition and just because I had been in the situation in 2017, I really took all of that abolition dialogue to heart and... um, and had been writing this script, so I kind of changed it and thought, like, what is, you know, like, what is this, the character who is myself, what is this character trying to do? Like, what's his goal? And um, I decided that the goal was to get this this man off of death row, because he was ultimately sentenced to death, um, because it was a federal crime, because it was in a bank. Um... And then in doing that, I was like, well, if that that person in the script can do that, then, like, why can't I do that? Um, so, yeah, I've been working with his, um, his lawyers, like, in real life, working with his lawyers and with um, a restorative justice counselor um, to, I guess, like, add my testimony um, in his appeals process. Um... So that's one project I'm working on. So I finished the pilot script, um, and I'm continuing um, with that. And then I also do photography. Um, I have my like Sawyer Mind project on Instagram that I kind of took some time off from. It was just becoming too much, um, but I'm like slowly getting back into that, um, which is just a it's a self portrait series um, that aims to humanize trans people and just show that we're like everyone else that we you know go to the grocery store we do like we just do all these like mundane things that everybody else does um and that's what the photo project shows just humanizes a population that many people think that they they don't know trans people Mm -hmm. but in fact they they probably do definitely yeah 
Hmm. Um, I guess I'll just ask a few more questions sure. if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, how has um, your experience with healthcare been in, in New York City? And hmm. particularly, I guess, anything related to um, hormones and mm-hmm. like just trans healthcare stuff. So. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I would say it's like a love-hate relationship. Um, I think it, God, it's like, it should be easier. Like it should, it should be easier. Um, but it's not, you know, I go to a clinic to get my hormones and um and there were just like so many mistakes with like the syringes and the needle like every time I went they would be wrong um so I ended up just buying them my own like on my own online so I have like hundreds of syringes at home but like I don't ever need to go back to that place to get my syringes because it was always a nightmare um and just a pain in the ass to like every month have to go to like your doctor to like ask for something and like constantly following up, constantly asking for something. Um, and then it's still not happening. And then like, I remember when I like first started hormones, it was like, we didn't have the information that we have now. Um, but I think across the board, trans healthcare, like, has come a long way, especially like insurance wise, like now insurance is paying for top surgery, which is great. Um, but like, I also feel a little bitter that like I had to pay for mine, <laughs> you know? And, um, yeah, like now people are paying like no money to have. Yeah. How does it feel to be top surgery? of a different generation in relation to younger trans people that are getting yeah medical help? It's, um, I'm happy for them because that's the way that it should be. Um, but I wish that it had happened earlier. Um, yeah, I think it, it changed really quickly. It was like in the matter of like a couple years, it was like three years. And like all of a sudden, like all of this healthcare was accessible. And I was like, where was this? Like, you know, 10 years ago when I was starting my transition, um, Yeah, so it's, like, kind of a bummer for me. Happy for them. Bummer for me. Got you. I think if that's that's how I'm going to phrase it, yeah. Um, Have there been any other important people you'd like to talk about that have helped shape who you are? Yeah. Um, Hmm, who do I start with? I think... um, People who have shaped me. I'm like totally blanking. That's okay. <laughs> we can, it's okay. I'm sure it's. There are definitely people who have shaped me. Yeah. I'm just thinking. Um, yeah, I think uh, my ex boyfriend Nico. Um, 
I guess I'll talk about him first. Um, he passed away at the end of 2019. And um, we were in like a fight at that time so I hadn't talked to him in like a week and it was over something so stupid it was over like the use of emojis in a text and yeah and I was just like not I was not open to learning so it was completely my fault he was like trying to advocate for something and I was not having it and was defensive um, so in hindsight, I should have just said like, you're right. I won't do it again. And it would have been fine, but that didn't happen. Um, and a week later he passed away and, um, I think I learned a lot from that relationship because we started dating and I, and he liked me so much and was like, constantly vocal about how much he liked me which I love as a Leo but also I was just like dealing with like the internal um internal voices being like you don't deserve this so I pushed him away so we like dated for a while and then I pushed him away and I broke up with him and I gave him some bullshit excuse and like broke his heart and we didn't talk for a little bit and then we got back in touch and I was just like, actually, I fucked up. And I, can I say that word? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've been saying it. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just like, I, I fucked up. I shouldn't have done that. Um, and, you know, I do really like you and I would like another chance. And um, so we gave it another shot, but like kept our relationship open because he didn't trust me fully, which I get. And, um, yeah, I just learned a lot about, like, why I push people away or, like, why I attract people who are unavailable. And then when people are available, I push them away. Um, so I've done a lot of thinking about that and, like, actively trying to not do that, um... So that was a huge thing to learn. Also, just like owning my shit. And when somebody calls you on something, don't get defensive and like start an unnecessary fight. That was stupid. The whole thing was stupid. Um, yeah, so I learned a lot from that. That relationship. Um, I think um, another ex of mine... JB, who I'm still good friends with. Um, I think she really taught me how to be an adult. Um, we started dating when I was like 21. And <clears throat> I think I had like a futon bunk bed or something. It was just like something not, not for an adult, <laughs> you know? So I, yeah, like really became an adult while dating her. And, like, learned things that I didn't learn in childhood, like how to pay bills, um, how to, like, host a party, how, like, all the, like, adult fun things that I do now, like, I learned from her. Um, yeah, and, like, even though we broke up, um, 
we're still close. And, you know, it's like, I still love her. It's a different kind of love. You know, it's like a friendship, platonic love. Um, but she's been there for me for how many, you know, like 15 years now. And, um, yeah, so that's a, a relationship that I, that I also really cherish. Mm. Um, and I think my relationship now, um, I think I've learned... God, to like, to listen and to not be sarcastic all the time. And like, there's a time and place for sarcasm, but, um, it's better to just be kind and authentic and genuine and not play everything off as sarcasm or a joke. Um, so I've learned a lot of that. Um, And I've learned vulnerability, like emotional vulnerability. And yeah, I guess like how to show up for someone in the way that they need, not in the way that I need to give it to them. Um, that's been a big lesson for me because I, I love a grand gesture. I love like a show up at your door with flowers and like that kind of thing, but that's not always what somebody else needs or wants. Um, so I think just like learning to love people how they need to be loved. That's a beautiful lesson. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a most recent one. Um, and I hope is very telling of like my next couple years, you know? Um, is there anything else you'd want to share for this archive that feels important? Hmm. Yeah, I think I want to touch on like tea for tea love a little bit, like platonically and romantically, um, because I think it is so beautiful and special and unlike anything I've felt at any other time in my life but like caring for trans siblings um and like the beauty of that i think is really striking to me um like i've taken a couple a couple guys down to florida to get like top surgery and then like what their caretaker after and, like, after I had my top surgery, like, we went down to the same surgeon and, like, did the whole thing and, like, made it, like, kind of fun, as fun as you can make surgery. Um, and I think there's just something really, um, really beautiful about that, that you don't need to explain. There's no, like, barriers to get through because they're also living it in a certain way. Not necessarily exactly the same, but there's, you know, you don't have to explain everything. Um, so you can really just, I think, get deeper with a person quicker because you're not learning the, the identity aspect of it. And I think in, like, romantic relationships, like a T4T romantic relationship is just, like, 
everything. You know, I think um, there's also the, like, not having to explain things. There's also, like, shifts in identity aren't, in my experience, aren't life-shattering. You know, if somebody's like, oh, I actually want to try they-them pronouns. And it's just like, oh, okay. You know, or like, oh, I think I'm going to cut my hair. It's like, okay. I think I'm going to grow my hair out. Okay. Like, nothing, it's not a big deal. Where, like, other relationships, it might be a big deal. And then, like, having sex as a T4T couple, I think, like, I've always, um, it's kind of like a body meld, almost. Where, like, I don't know whose body is who, and I kind of forget that I even have a body at a certain point. Um, and it's just enjoyable because there's no like worrying about like oh i don't have this part or i have this part or whatever it is you know it's not um it's not as front and center so i think that's um yeah a really beautiful thing really special yeah thank you for sharing yeah um we're back and um welcome again (laughs) I have something to add. Okay, so I was just thinking about my dad's funeral and, like, how wild this experience was with for me. Um, he passed away in 2016. And, um, um, you know, I wanted to look really nice for this this like service we were having and um so I got like a really nice suit and it was tailored and the whole thing and I like looked very handsome and um people start showing up to this like chapel and we're like greeting the people you know as they come in and you know greeting my sister like hey Jesse hey Adam hey Justin da 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 and then they would get to me and be like I don't know who you are. <laughs> and um, I remember my my dad's cousin, um, my Uncle Kenny, literally like looked me up and down and was just like, who are you? And I was like, oh, I, um, I used to be Sarah. I go by Sawyer now. And he looked me up and down again, just standing in front of me. And it was very awkward. And he shook my hand. And he was like, all right. And then he just walked away, and I was like, okay, I guess that's fine. Um, That didn't seem that bad. And that just kind of set the tone for what would happen all day, because my mom had not told anybody that I had transitioned, so nobody knew who I was. And I would just, like, look at people and, like, wave, thinking that they would know who I was, and then they would, like, give me a weird look... And then come up to me later and be like, oh my God, I didn't realize that was you. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, what is happening? Um, And it just happened over and over and over again. It was such, yeah, it was such a mind bending moment. Um, And I had like um, my best friend from high school who I was in a band with, his mom had saw, she had seen the um, obituary in the paper 
and came only to say hello. And I hadn't seen this woman in 15 years, probably. You know, she had no idea that I had transitioned, you know, like, yeah, I hadn't seen her since I was like 17. And she ran in there and I don't know how she knew my name, but I just heard her from behind me screaming my name, Sawyer, Sawyer. And I was like, oh my God. And I turned around and she just gave me like the biggest hug and was just like, I'm so sorry. Um, I saw it in the paper. I have to go to work, so I can't stay, but I just wanted to come say how sorry I am and, and like, oh my God, you look great. And I was like, oh my God. And it was just like little moments of like, that I really needed um, because the rest of it was like a shit show, you know? And then there was like this other family who are like right-wing extremists, like love their guns, um, like in the military. And their son came up to me and like stood side by side with me. And this man is like six foot five. He's like a refrigerator, he's huge. And he was like, well, you look a lot different. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Uh, and then his dad came over and proceeded to like misgender me and like call me my birth name and just like be generally awful. Um, and just like stare me down. And that was like the one that was like uncomfortable for me because I was, I felt a little unsafe. Um, but the other ones like in retrospect, I find so funny that my uncle was just like, who are you? You know? And like, I had seen him a couple weeks earlier in the hospital and it was like my brother Justin, my little sister Jesse, and me, and my other brother was not there. So my uncle Kenny comes in and he's like, "Hey Justin, hey Jesse, hey Adam." So he thought that I was my brother. And my dad couldn't really see, so he was like, "What are you talking about? That's Sarah." And my uncle Kenny was like, "Okay, you're crazy." Like clearly not all the uh What are those sayings? <laughs> Like, one crayon short of a crayon box. Um, and then, like, continued to, like, talk to us as if I was Adam. Like, what you, what are you up to, Adam? And then I just, like, made up a story. Because <laughs> I, I didn't have it in me to be like, oh, I'm actually Sawyer. And I transitioned. And it was just, like, also not the time. Right. You know, my dad's dying. So let's leave it. Um, but that funeral was hilarious. And then at the end... My Uncle Kenny, I hear him, like, talking to my mom. They're, like, arguing about something. I can't quite hear what they're talking about, but they're arguing about something. And then he leaves. Doesn't say anything. Um, but we hear from outside, he, like, starts his car, so we go out to wave. And he waves out his window and says, Have a nice life! And then just drives away. And we've never heard from him since. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was... A really strange day. A really strange day. Yeah, family. Yeah. And my oldest sister was there, the one um, who was murdered. She was there and, like, ran across the the chapel and was just like, Sawyer, it's so good to see you. Like, da-da-da. Um, so she was really accepting. It was just, like, weird that nobody knew who I was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of when you spoke of being invisibilized 
yeah. the club, just like all these different registers of how people contemplate mm-hmm. their own kind of insecurity or like inability mm-hmm. to acknowledge somebody. Yeah. Totally. And especially so intimately at a funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, what a litmus test. Yeah. It's... <laughs> it really was. That needs to be written into a script somewhere. That was Thank wild. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, families are very complicated. You know. Yeah, I often get jealous and really sad when I see like parents really loving on their trans kids, um, being really proud of them for coming out as who they really are and I'm just like so angry that like I don't have that you know but you get to be such a good friend to people that also need yeah. that kind of support too yeah 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 that's how I try to turn it around is just like being there for people who in a way that like I didn't have that you know yeah like taking care of my trans friends and um, and caretaking them when they need it. That's the most nourishing thing you do. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of like healing me in a way as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs>